Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Police officers being killed on the job. It's happening so frequently in this country. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a national crisis. It really is. There's most recently the RCMP officer in British Columbia, Rick O'Brien. His funeral will be next Wednesday in Langley at the event center. And there'll be a procession before that. So if you're in the area, please try to uh, attend or pay respects to Officer O'Brien. I'm curious what our next guest is going to say about this. Former RCMP tactical team leader, Tim Mills is with us. He was the uh, RCMP ERT tactical team leader, April 18th of 2020, when 22 people were murdered, including RCMP Constable Heidi Stevenson. Tim Mills was also present with the RCMP ERT team in Moncton, New Brunswick, during the mass shooting on June 4th, 2014, when three RCMP officers were killed and two more seriously wounded during 24-year-old Moncton resident Justin Burke's shooting and killing assault. Tim, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on the program. I, 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 have, I have to express personal condolences to you because you spent so many years in uniform protecting the people of this country in the most dangerous of circumstances. Why, why is it police officers are increasingly being killed while on the job? And I'm thinking now of the OPP officer, Greg Pierce-Challa, who last December was shot and killed when he stopped to try and help someone he spotted in, in the ditch in a car. What's going on in our society? Well, thanks for having me, Roy. Um, it's, there's way too many reasons to name them all, but to summarize what's going on, in my opinion, is I think it's no secret to anyone in Canada, if they're paying attention at all, we are living in what I say is a, a broken society, the most corrupt government we've ever been under. And, you know, when you have, and I'm not just not talking one side either, I'm not talking Trudeau, uh, you have one party there thing propping him up, giving him the power. And also the official opposition, uh, conservatives, spineless over the last few years. So you have, to me, the most corrupt government in Canadian history, but also we as Canadians, we have to take responsibility as well. Like, you know, we're too busy with our lives, whether it be sports, Super Bowl Sunday, or, you know, what concert's on, we're, you know, we're, we're allowing them to do this. And, and you know, it's just going to get worse. Um, you know, everything... From policing, healthcare, education, you name it, everyone is suffering. I have a wife that's a guidance counselor, and, and the stories she tells me about work and that. I, I know nurses, and, and the stories I hear in the healthcare, and here in Nova Scotia, emergency rooms are closed down all over the place. Uh, I keep in touch with police officers, and, and they're all running skeleton crews. It's just out of control. Um, Drugs, you know, um, overdoses, mental health, everything is through the roof. So in the last seven years, and even more frequently the last three or four years, society has gone downhill so fast. The, the amount of homelessness in Halifax that I see with my own eyes, it's amazing. Tent cities popping up. It, it's all over. Toronto, Vancouver, you hear it all over. There's, there's no way 
a government that truly cares for its citizens and people would allow this to happen. There's just no way on earth. So this affects every part of society, and we're talking about police today. So when you allow crime to run rampant, you allow drugs, uh, you know, into our society, and and not have any penalties for it. I was surprised to learn in the last two years since I stopped being a police officer, they're now they're not prosecuting people if they have thirty grams or less of hard drugs on them. So back when I was getting out of the policing, it used to be 30 grams of, you know, marijuana. Well, now it's 30 grams of cocaine or 30 grams of meth. And and I found that hard to believe where I had to call a drug investigator myself who was current and be like, is this true? I, I just find it hard to believe. And he confirmed it. He said, sad, but true. They, they had picked up a guy that had 57 grams of crack cocaine on him. And it got thrown out of court because they said it was personal use and federal prosecutors will no longer prosecute for personal use. So the criminals in the country, they're not, you know, they're not stupid. They pick up on this. They see the loopholes they can use. And so it gives them more power by, by having all this in place. And basically, you know, they see they they can run the show now and, where police are at skeleton crews and overworked and burning out. It's it's you can see and we see it. We're we're slowly losing power and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So I can take you back if you don't mind my doing this. To uh, it's gotten very hard, I'm sure for you, hard for everybody to think about it. But you were there. You were you were leading the ERT, the RCMP ERT technically unit on April 18th in 2020 in Nova Scotia, where 22 people were murdered. And you discovered, if I remember our conversation, our first conversation about this correctly, you're the officer who discovered RCMP Constable Heidi Stevenson in her cruiser, who had been shot and killed. Um, and, and, and Tim, uh, you, were, you were telling me and told us on the air about the lack of support that you had as a police unit trying to come to grips with what was going on. You didn't have a helicopter. They never seemed to be able to fly. You didn't have the support from the senior officers, as uh, what you shared with us. Can you just remind us how chaotic that night was and what effect that had on you? Well, it's never easy seeing, you know, anyone hurt or killed. It's it's a, a sickening feeling, but it depends on the person. It depends on when it occurs. You know, when we discovered my good friend Heidi uh, had passed, we were in the heat of battle. So you have to keep going to find that bad fellow. I'm sure if you discover, you know, a fellow officer down or, or someone else after, you know, the battle is over, it would be harder to cope with. Um, but it's always terrible. And, and, you know, to go about what you said with the confusion and everything with what I've said in my testimony, what I said that the mass casualty commission for as long as I was an ERT member for 22 years, um, time and time again, whether it be mayor Thorpe, Alberta or Manitoba or the new Brunswick, they would always have these inquiries or whatever name they wanted to call it. And the same deficiencies would always be brought up and it would never get fixed. They would fix a couple things, put a bandaid on it and put you back out and just, you know, because it became old news and, and they would move on to the next thing. And so 
as I said in my testimony at the Mass Casualty Commission, it is lip service for the public to think so so they can think, well, we care. They don't care. They just want this to get over with and just move on. They, you know, it's it's all about make it go away so we don't get judged and let things continue on. Like with the RCMP now, they're at skeleton crews. The Halifax Regional Police are at skeleton crews. So these members are burning out. They're working at skeleton crews. I follow a member from uh, Toronto Metro. He's a sergeant. And just last week, he was posting about how backlogged they are on like priority two calls, which are serious calls. And he's saying they're in the queue and they can't get to them. And it's just, this is all over Canada, just not RCMP or the East Coast. You um, you shared with me, and we're talking about policing in this country and what we need to protect our officers more. And uh, Tim Mills is my guest. He was a ERT um, technical leader in Nova Scotia on April 18th, 2020. Also present in Moncton in 2014, when three officers, RCMP officers, were killed. Two more were wounded. You told me, uh, Tim, if I remember correctly... There was very little in the way of support from senior officers for your ERT crew after the April 18th, 2020 night. And some of your members were part-time. Some were full-time ERT members. Some were part-time. And they needed some time off, and it wasn't given. And I, I still remember that. And I thought, where this is a this is a building block in the lack of support that police officers are receiving. And I'm hearing it from you. I've heard it from other officers. Could you remind us about that? Yes. Just to touch on, I last mentioned about the Toronto uh, police officer mm-hmm. that I follow and in the you know, how backed up they are. Mm-hmm. He just posted also, he's, he's involved with Wounded Warriors of Canada, and he just posted, there's stats out there that talk about police officers, and they call it sanctuary uh, trauma, and over 70% suffer from it. What is that? What that is, sanctuary trauma is when, and it's exactly what we went through as an our team here, you go out and you fight the battle, you, you do you the best you can with what you have. And when you come back and you're looking for support from your organization, then you don't get that support. And what we went through was the total opposite. We actually came back and we had to fight our management for not even time off, just time away from frontline policing for six members. And it, that's why I ultimately left the force. It was a fight for six months. It's under investigation right now, and I just recently got back kind of a summary of what officers are saying, and it came as no surprise to me, but how conveniently they forget, how they point the finger at each other's, how they actually lie, and it, it comes as a shock, but you expect it as well, and it's what I said two years ago. They get into the rank upper management, and it all becomes about me, 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 and my pension, and how high I can go, and I mentioned power corruption and all that. It's You can tell they're there, they're afraid to make decisions, and they don't want to rock the boat. They just want to make it through with a high pension retirement, and I seen it fighting two years ago against it, trying to get time, not off, but time away, working 
um, with the Earth unit, and they fought us tooth and nail. And even here we are two years later, and when interviews were done and statements taken, they're covering their behinds because of it. And it just, you shake your head when you read it, because the truth always comes out. The truth never changes. And it's just, when you see it, it's like, wow, yeah, there it is, you know, in black and white ink. Tim, uh, how do police officers go about doing their jobs across this country with the assaults, the shootings, the deaths, and what you've shared with us? What is it that makes an officer get up every morning and do his or her job? What is it? Well, police officers join the job to, to help their fellow citizen. They they get in it because they want to make a difference. That's that's what drives them. But it's getting tougher and tougher. Um, they don't want to let their fellow officer down as well. But as I said earlier, with skeleton crews and, and people burning out, it you know physical health and mental health does take over, and that desire to help and and you know, be there beside your fellow man and woman that, you know, it takes a toll. Hmm. Um, as I talked about skeleton crews and, and lack of trust with management, uh, you know, they, they go in, it's a grind for them. It's getting tougher and tougher. That's for sure. Uh, most officers I speak to now, RCMP used to go 32 years minimum to 35. Everyone I talk to now, they just want to do their minimum, 24 in a day, 25, get out. That's what they want to do. They they see the handwriting on the wall. So we are losing tons of police officers. Recruiting is at an all-time low all over. I was in Charlottetown PEI Labor Day weekend and seen RCMP advertising on the side of Metro buses. First time I've ever seen advertising on buses for recruiting. So it shows you how tough it is and, and the struggle they have trying to get police officers. It, it's becoming more of a hateful job, uh, a less thankful job, a tougher job. You're under a microscope with today's society and what's been preached for the last three years to fund the police and, and, you know, all this wokeness of, well, the, the thin blue line has to be taken off your uniform because it's uh, offending to some, you know, that just wears on, on officers. Mm-hmm. They just want to be there to help make a difference. And every little thing that goes on like this, it just adds to the burden. Thank you again, Tim, for coming on the show. I I really appreciate talking to you. Did last time, do now. You you, You mentioned the Mass Casualty Commission. So I went back during our break just now and looked at some of the notes from a conversation we had about that Mass Casualty Commission, you and I on this program. And uh, it came up that RCMP Chief Superintendent Chris Leather, he he testified that federal lawyers advised him to not speak about a call he received from the commissioner about the issue of publicly disclosing what types of firearms Wardman used. And then there was another point, and they're not necessarily immediately tied together, but they, they, they do tie together. The Justice Department withheld pages of notes for months from Inspector Darren Campbell, and the opposition parties were saying this was done because the notes' contents 
would be detrimental to the federal government. It's alarming if the inquiry into the mass murders of 22 people in Nova Scotia has to subpoena the federal government for information that should have been made available to the inquiry in day one. Um, I'm just I'm just presenting this to you. Your thoughts, please. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, when I first talk about corrupt government, I know some people out there are like, oh, it can't be corrupt, it's incompetence, or, you know, it's not that bad. And I used to think that way myself as well until I started doing a bit of research and connecting dots and lived through what I lived through. And it's, I have zero doubt there is corruption in the government and in the upper management of the RCMP, zero doubt. When what you just touched on there, that all come out after we spoke last. And when and I called Brenda Lucky at the time a puppet of Trudeau, which I truly believe she was. The gentleman in charge now of the RCMP, I don't even know his name offhand, but before he became commissioner, and he's appointed, you know, by Trudeau and whatever committee up there, he was in charge of federal policing in Ottawa and some other big thing in Ottawa, but Everyone he was in charge of would have been the ones that investigated Trudeau and any corruption in the government. So then you wonder, and I'm sure a lot of Canadians are thinking, well, how come he's never been charged? How come, it, you know, Teflon Trudeau? How come nothing sticks to him? This would be the reason why. I personally know a private investigator, and he had 30 years in law enforcement, he did his own investigation, did his research, submitted a complaint to Ottawa on Trudeau, and I believe it had something to do way back. So we, we have to be, Tim, Tim, we have to be careful about allegations, right? You know that. You're a cop. I know that, but what I'm saying is when, when they're given an investigation, and please, you know, investigate this, and this goes nowhere. And he is told the PMO's office reached out and said, we can't investigate this. So what I'm saying is it's obvious there is something wrong. And when nothing gets investigated, this is why everyone really, you know, wonders, like, why doesn't anything stick? Why hasn't he been charged? So there's one thing I come to the conclusion. Yeah, I hear you. Mike Duham is the uh, commissioner of the RCMP now. Yes. Yeah. And so, I did my research on what he was in charge with before he got it. When you were, um, when you were involved, and I, I don't want to, I hope I'm not causing you any distress by asking you these questions. No. Because you were, you were front, you were the tip of the spear. Um, the sharp end of the stick when you were a police officer, the emergency re response team, effectively in the United States, what they call SWAT, special weapons and tactics. Um, so you're the, you're, you've got that job in Nova Scotia, April 18, 2020. You've got that job uh, in Moncton in 2014. What is that like? To do that work, you're in charge of people who are an, an entire unit of fellow officers, emergency response team officers, 
you're trying to get the job done. And I remember you telling us how difficult it was in Nova Scotia. What is it like to get try to get the job done? And do you, in those circumstances, on those nights or those days, when you're doing the job, at the very tip of the, 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 the spear or the stick, do you encounter what you know are unnecessary obstacles? Are there obstacles in your path to you getting your job done? Resources would be the first one right offhand. Yes, resources. Uh, we, we've always worked below numbers, what was recommended. Um, equipment would be another one where you'd identify we need this, we need that, you know, for health and safety reasons, officer safety reasons, and it would boil down to we don't have the money for it. So resources, equipment would be the obstacles that would most, you know, come into play. Um, and that would be the two that stick out the most. There would be nothing else I could think of, uh, right offhand, you know, to, to speak of. How are you, how are you doing after leaving and going through so, as much as you have experiencing as much as you have? Is there support for you? If you, if I'm not saying you need it, but if you need it, would, would there be support for you? Yes. I mean, I have great family support. I have good friend support. Um, you know, ex officers I used to work with and retired officers, we all support each other. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Um, you know, with today's society, with everything going on, you know, you do have to shake your head and wonder, yeah, when's, when's everything going to change, but no, I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for asking. Um, and yeah. It's cause I like you cause uh, I've gotten to know you. I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last couple of years. We've, we've gotten to know each other. Yeah. I I would say I'm probably doing better than the majority of Canadians right now, believe it or not. Uh, you know, I've, I've come to terms with what went on and uh, why it went on. And once you accept, you know, why it happened, it's a lot easier to cope with. And you're not as confused or, or wonder these things. So Yeah, I, I just, I want to thank you personally. As one Canadian to another, but I'm sure I'm speaking for many, for what you did for all of us and the work that you did, putting your life and yourself on the line so many times. And uh, we, do, we do have to say and do want to say thank you, Tim, to you and your fellow officers. And thanks so very much for, your, for coming on the show today. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Roy, and you take care. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.